0: All right. Well, good morning. My name is Chris Kopp. I'm the site pastor here at our Braider Way location. It's great to be with all of you in this room. How's everyone doing this morning? All right. What about everyone in traditions joining us online? Fitchburg downtown. How's everyone doing over there? All right. I can hear you guys all the way from here. I love it. And happy 4th of July weekend. Hopefully you guys have some good time with friends and family planned. I don't know about you, but the 4th of July is one of my favorite times of the year, because you've got like sunshine, food on the grill, parades, fireworks, maybe time at a pool or a lake or that kind of thing. But for me, my love for the 4th of July started when I was a kid, because growing up, a lot of those weekends and a lot of other weekends during the summer were spent at a place called Lake Mason. It's a small lake near Portage, just north of the Madison area, and we would spend it with a couple named Steve and Eileen. Uh, My dad served on the fire department for many years with Steve and they became good friends and so they weren't family but they sure treated us like we were kind of like extending an open invitation anytime that we wanted to come up during the summer to us and a lot of other families. And sometimes there'd be as many as like four or five families in their little two-bedroom, couldn't have been more than 900-square-foot house. They were so generous and so hospitable. And they would like, they'd parade us kids around on the boat all day. They would cook over an open fire a couple times a day. And Steve, being a carpenter, even like added on to the garage that they had to create this big room with four or five foldable beds so that more people could stay with them and not have to camp in tents. And after years of this, like a sort of Lake Mason community was developed where people that at one point didn't even know each other, other people from the fire department, other neighbors that they had, and other people from the community, they all just like started sharing significant life events together, even going to each other's kids' weddings and things like that. Now, if you've ever been a part of a community like that, you know that the thing about a community like that is that it has a way of shaping and forming us, right? Right? And for me and my brother, those were formative, like elementary school years. And so we were shaped and formed by that community in some great ways. And maybe in some that my mom didn't always appreciate. Like, let's just say spending most of the summer around a group of firefighters and fishermen. We may have added to our vocabulary throughout those summers, learned some new jokes, that kind of thing. For example, here's one of the jokes that I learned one of those summers. What do you call... No, I'm not going there. I'm not telling one of those jokes. Some of you were like dozing off and you started to lean in. Like, is he actually going to tell it? No. Uh, But the thing is, my mom, she started to get this reputation. She was uh, infamous for once saying that it takes two weeks to undo what you teach these boys in two days, right? And she wasn't wrong because we were shaped and formed as we stepped into their space. But beyond just like learning new jokes and having an added vocabulary, their kindness and their generosity, and the way that the people in that community served each other, that also had an impact on all of us. They gained influence among us, and we all loved them and loved each other. So why do, why do I share all of this? Because I wonder what it could look like for us as Christ followers to be intentional with those around us in a similar way to develop these kinds of communities with friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, you name it. And not just like community for the sake of community, but spaces where people can be seen and heard and understood, where they might even encounter something of the presence of Jesus among us and be shaped and transformed in that way. Because whether Steve and Eileen knew it or not, this is the kind of hospitality, the kind of way of being on mission that Jesus modeled throughout his time on earth, and a way of being on mission with God that can change and already has changed the world. So today, we're continuing in our summer camp series where we go through a bunch of different spiritual practices. And these practices, they can help us grow in our faith and grow closer to God And change and transform us. Now, ultimately, it's God who does the heavy lifting of changing and transforming us, right? But we have a role to play. We have to partner with him, and we do that through these spiritual practices that we'll go through uh, over the course of this summer. Now, the thing about our growth and and engaging in these practices is that it's not just for ourselves and our own transformation, though that's great, but it's actually for the sake of Of others as well. Because as we're changed and transformed, God makes us more effective at imaging and reflecting who he is to those around us. And he makes us more effective at the mission that he's called us to, to spread this kingdom of love and joy and peace. Now, I know uh, a couple weeks ago, Charles was up here introducing the series, and he said, like, only try, like, one or two of these practices throughout the summer. That's good advice. You can't do everything. Charles is a doctor, after all. You should listen to him most of the time. But as your camp counselor this week, I'm here to encourage or challenge all of us to do this one at some point during the summer. Because being on mission and following Jesus go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. To follow Jesus is to be on mission. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking like, how is mission? Like, how is that a spiritual practice? I get how reading the Bible and prayer and things like that are. Well, good question. Uh, Practices, they prepare us for the mission But if we're going to get more effective at actually living out and carrying out that mission, at some point, we've got to like jump in and and do it, right? Like a builder who only ever studies blueprints or an athlete that only ever does drills or practices or things like that, that's not going to work. Like at some point, we've got to get in the game. We are changed and transformed as we do the thing itself, as we engage in mission. So that's what we're going to talk about Today, Uh, really all throughout the Live This Book series that we were in over the last nine months, if you tracked with us through that, we talked a lot about being on mission together. And so today we're just going to get our hands dirty, get super practical about what that could look like and really dig in. Sound good? All right, a couple disclaimers with a message like this before uh, we get too far in. The first is this: uh, if you're relatively new to Blackhawk Church, especially if you're still figuring out all of this Jesus stuff, hearing a talk on mission well it can it can feel a little weird, right? Like maybe someone even invited you here today and you're like, "Am I the target of this mission, like a project or something like that? and let me just let me just say right off the bat, Welcome to Blackhawk Church. We are so glad that you are here, and you are absolutely. Right. People are not projects. Like who really wants to feel like a project anyway? Uh, As someone who didn't become a Christ follower until my freshman year of college, I know what it's like to feel like people have an agenda with you. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel good, right? People aren't projects. They're human beings who are loved. By God. And so I hope you'll see today as we talk about mission that our goal is to simply love people in the same way that He loves them, to open up our lives to them and to love and to serve them and to share a little bit of the hope that we have in Jesus. And then, disclaimer two this one's a little bit more personal. Um, Most weeks before I get up here to pray, whether it's in back or in front here, I'll pray like a little bit of a prayer of confession for the ways that I don't fully live out what I'm about to teach. Because I deeply long to be a missional person who God uses in significant ways in the lives of people around me. But honestly, I'm not perfect and this does not come easy to me at all. And yet I've found ways, compelled by what Jesus has done in my own life, to take steps of faith and to be on mission with him. But I speak today not as someone like speaking down at you who has it all figured out, but someone who's on the journey with you. Now, when we talk about mission, there's probably a handful of things that come to mind, right? There's probably more than just these three, but there's three that I want to address right up front. Um, The first one, maybe we think of something called, like, what I would call street evangelism. So you see the person on the road holding a sign. Maybe they're even handing out booklets and that kind of thing, right? Right. Uh, those of us joining downtown, maybe you even, like, as you walked down State Street or down Library Mall, like, you encountered something like that. But good or bad, I want us to try to just set that image to the side because what we're going to talk about today is much different than that. All right, the second thing maybe that comes to mind or the second misconception is that uh, to do mission, to be on mission, we need to, like, get on a plane and be a missionary overseas, or at the very least, like we need to go on a missions trip or something like that. And that's great. Like God calls many people to go to the ends of the earth, to carry the gospel to those that don't yet know him. And that's a good and a needed and a beautiful thing. But God calls all of us to participate in this mission. And as we'll see later, there are no airplanes required. All right. And then the final misconception is this, is that maybe you need to be like gifted in evangelism to be on mission, or at the very least, like a raging extrovert that's charismatic and can draw everyone in, right? I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. That's not me, like at all. Very much an introvert, again, this is really hard for me, and yet we are all called to participate in this mission. So what does it look like for people like me and maybe like many of you for whom this doesn't come easy to engage in this mission? What we'll see is that often in the New Testament, mission is actually carried out in the context of community, a community where all people, whether introvert or extrovert, or this gifting or that gifting, where everyone has a role to play. So more on that later. All right, well, with all of those things aside, let's dig in. Uh, If you've got a Bible or a device, the first passage we're going to look at this morning is Matthew 28. So go ahead and turn there. This is often known as the Great Commission, right? This is probably familiar to many of us in the room. But let me give us a little context. So Jesus has died. He's gone to the cross. And then on the third day, he rose again. Easter has happened, so he's been resurrected and he's come alive. And the scriptures say that there's this, like a few weeks, three, four weeks, something like that, where um, where Jesus continues to be on earth after his resurrection, continuing to teach and to prepare his followers for his departure, and then he ascends to heaven to be with the Father. But these words that we're about to read come in that kind of in-between period after he's been resurrected and before he ascends into heaven. Now, especially if this passage is like really familiar for you, I want us to try to look at it with a fret of uh, fresh eyes today. And in order to do that, we need, well, we need like a little bit of a lesson in Greek this morning. Does that sound okay to you guys? Hey, don't act too excited. I know you didn't expect to be learning Greek on 4th of July weekend, but life comes at you fast. All right, let's, uh, let's start with Matthew 28 with just reading those words. Here we go. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, this is sometimes known as the Great Commission. So we can see how this could or even should motivate us to do the kind of uh, ministry or missions work that happens overseas. And yet Jesus' words here have something Profound, maybe for the majority of us to that will never get on a plane or be a missionary overseas. There's still something profound for us as well. And that's where the Greek lesson comes in. So here we go. This word, uh, look at verse 19. This word go, it's the first verb in the sentence, right? And in our English translations, just like this one, it's usually translated as like a command. But when we look at it in the Greek, the language that the New Testament was originally written in, it's this word poruthentes. Try saying that with me, porousentes. Uh, and it means, um, well, again, we sometimes we, we translate it as a command or as an imperative, but it's actually in the Greek, a passive participle, meaning that a more literal translation might be like when you go or as you go or wherever you go. But because that verb comes first in verse 19, it's often the one that we give most of our attention to. But again, it's not the main verb in the sentence. That's the verb for make disciples. Try, that's a little longer. Try saying that one with me. And what does it mean? Make disciples. And a disciple is someone whose allegiance is to Jesus, who's committed to following him, learning his ways, and reflecting who he is to those around them. And this verb, it is an imperative in the Greek, it is a command. Absolutely, Jesus is commissioning us, he's commanding us to make disciples. So let me try to pull all of this stuff together. What's the point here? The main point, the main point of emphasis is that. Uh, What Jesus is saying here isn't as much about going. That's not his main kind of focus, but it's this act of making disciples. He's absolutely commissioned us to do that. And Jesus says, I want you to do this as you go or wherever you go. In other words, it's not just like a hat that we put on when we get on a plane to do uh, overseas missions. And it's not just for the professional missionaries and the professional Christians and that kind of thing, right? Because don't miss the first two verses that we read earlier. We kind of skipped over that, but let's go back to it. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him and everyone had it all together and they were perfect. No, but it says some doubted, even in the midst of their doubts and Their shortcomings, Jesus still commissions his imperfect disciples to go out and to be on mission for him. And still today, he commissions us, people like me and like you who are imperfect and don't have it all together, to be on mission with him. Again, it's not just for the professionals, it's a lifestyle, something that we get to live out wherever we go. So here's the main point I want to drive home throughout this morning is that being on mission Is about being intentional with those around us as we go. So, even as we navigate through the daily things of life, interacting with people at the store or the barista or neighbors or classmates or friends, uh, we are intentional to see and love and care for people. And yes, still sometimes going to people and places that don't feel comfortable right away, but we're motivated by this desire to make disciples and to follow. Jesus in this way. How you guys doing with that? All makes sense, right? So how do we go about doing this? Well, we'll get to us in just a second, but let's start with how Jesus and the early church modeled this. And good news, a lot of it, honestly is like revolves around being with good friends and around a table with good food. So check out these verses. Uh, this is from Matthew 9. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Already he's gaining a little bit of a reputation. Keep going to Matthew 11. This is Jesus speaking. It says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon, the son of man, me, came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So check this out. Jesus had about three years of public ministry, right? Where he's interacting with his disciples and teaching and that kind of thing. So he has three years to prepare this like ragtag group of followers to live this out in a way that would, well, like would endure for all of eternity and for thousands of years, right? Like no pressure, And what does he decide to do? Well, apparently he spends so much time like around tables growing in relationship with people and eating and drinking with them that he gets this reputation as like a glutton and a drunkard. He's simply intentional with those around him. And we see this all throughout the gospel stories from when Jesus, he's going through Jericho, he sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he later eats with him at his house that day. Or in John 4, he goes out of his way purposefully to engage with the Samaritan woman at the well. Pastor Chris is going to talk about that story later this summer. But we see this all throughout the Gospels where he's, as he travels, intentional with those around him as he goes about his daily life. And the early church, after he ascends to heaven and is seated at the throne of the Father, they continue out this tradition of gathering around tables and around food. Look at this from Acts chapter 2. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they're constantly gathering together in these small pockets of community with probably friends and and neighbors and other people from the community with people who were Christ followers, some who weren't following him yet. And as they did this, as they gathered in people's homes and around tables and just ate food and included people in the daily rhythms of their lives, man, God used it in dramatic fashion. Again, it says he added to their number daily. Being on mission, again, isn't about or being on mission is about being intentional with those around us as we go. So what could that look like here in Madison? That was then, this is now, uh, well, actually, it might not be all that different, but here's a few ideas for what it could look like to be on mission in this way. The first one is this, being on mission as we go could look like showing hospitality to those around us. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about like having just the picture-perfect home. It's spotless. Everything is clean. And then inviting your friends over to come. And there's like people nudging each other right now. Like it doesn't have to be like that. Hospitality is more than that. It's about inviting people into spaces where it's warm and inviting. And they can be seen and cared for and heard. And where they can encounter the person of Jesus as he lives out the kind of life that he wants to in and through us. It could look like uh, as we head into the 4th of July weekend, like throwing a barbecue or a block party to get to know neighbors or inviting a classmate or people from work or whoever uh, into our homes for a meal that we know they don't have a lot of community or a lot of other family in the area. Or it it could look like starting a book club or finding other ways to gather those around you. When my wife and I first got married, we lived here in Madison in the bottom level of a small little apartment. And as it turned out, we were directly across from an immigrant family from the country of Togo. Uh, And the parents, they didn't speak a lot of English, but their 10-year-old son did. So uh, one day we decided we'd just bring cookies over to get to know them a little bit. And I invited the son to come over and play video games. So uh, we did, did that. And much to my wife's chagrin, like I didn't just let him win because the kids got to earn it, right? But a couple weeks later, he would pay me back big time. He invited me over to his place to play Halo. And the thing you need to understand is I'm like the worst Halo player in the history of the entire world. So a few minutes in, after me getting destroyed over and over again, he gets up from his seat, walks over to the gaming console, and says, maybe we should play a different game. Uh, Yeah, I think we should, because this is not going well, right? But what started with just a couple little acts of hospitality continued to grow our relationship over the course of those couple years. They'd even invite us over uh, to, to watch their newborn and to watch their kids when they were in a childcare pinch and things like that. Now, I know that like this can sound easy. It can sound like, uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't take a lot of work to do that, but I get that this can feel intimidating and, and hard. Um, And even as I share stories throughout this message, just trying to drip little ideas for how we could be on mission in our own communities, just, just know that like as many stories as I have, I have twice as many of me blowing it and not taking advantage of opportunities to get to know my neighbors and those around me. There are so many times because life just feels so busy and full that I've missed opportunities to do that. And I know that I'm not alone in that. Uh, The Authors of the Art of Neighboring, it's this great book. Uh, We can get that on our resource page. If you're interested in what it could look like to reach your neighbors and that sort of thing, definitely check that out. But they did these trainings and as they went about their trainings, they kind of did some research and they found that those Christ followers that they were engaging with, only 10% of them knew the names of the neighbors immediately around them. Only 10%. Not like down the road, just like right Right next to them. And only 3% of those they engaged with knew anything significant or meaningful about their immediate neighbors. So what about us? To me, that's convicting because I know that I've failed at that many times. And yes, God calls us to reach the ends of the earth, but we can't reach the world if we don't even know our neighbors. Which leads to the next one. Being on mission as we go, could look like intentionally making ourselves available to those around us. Many of us, if not most of us, we live in communities that have been like intentionally planned where you can drive into your garage or walk into your apartment complex or your condo, shut the door, and you just never have to interact with anyone, right? Sometimes we, like, we sleep just like a wall between other people, like a few feet away, and we don't even know their names. So how could we be intentional about just making ourselves available to relationship with them? Maybe it could look like hanging out in our driveway or our front yard instead of hiding out in the back just as a way to get to know neighbors as they pass by. Or maybe that's hanging out in common spaces of our dorm or our apartment complex or in the lunchroom at work or that kind of thing. Or maybe like instead of, you know, there's that one person as you're out on a walk that like you should know their name because it's been a long time. And so you go to the opposite side of the street, right? To avoid them, maybe don't do that. And maybe just say, hey, I'm so sorry, I should know your name, but can you remind me of what it is? How can we be available to those around us? When uh, my wife and I lived in Denver, uh, the neighborhood that we were in, most of our neighbors were about 10 to 20 years older than us. And a guy named Matt was in that category. We didn't have a lot in common, but we did share an affinity for beanbag toss and for football. Uh, Me for the Green Bay Packers and him for the Denver Broncos. Uh, And let me just establish right up front that my heart always will be with the Packers. But in order to like develop a relationship with him, I started to just like listen to local sports radio and kind of follow the team and learn about it so that as conversations in our neighborhood were happening, I'd be able to jump in and engage. And so many nights, whether it was zero degrees out and snowing or 80 degrees and just beautiful outside, there Matt would be playing beanbag toss with other neighbors and talking about the Denver Broncos. And so many nights I'd just go out there and jump in. And slowly but surely, our relationship grew to the point where he was asking me questions about faith. So how can we do that as well? How can we simply make ourselves available to those around us? If you're not sure where to begin with that, maybe just start to pray for one person you know. One person in your neighborhood or your dorm or your apartment complex I just pray that God would give you opportunities to grow in relationship with them, to spend time with them, and then just be ready to respond as he gives you those opportunities. All right, next one. Being on mission as we go could look like serving those around us. So where in your community or your neighborhood or your school could you find opportunities to to love and to serve people? Maybe it's bringing a meal to someone who's just had a kid or just, uh, you know, lost a loved one. Or maybe if you're a student, it's like mowing the lawn or it's offering to babysit for free to a couple that just needs a break or offering to shovel for someone that physically can't do that. Or maybe as you're engaging with people at school, like, is there another kid that like is often picked on or just doesn't have a lot of friends? How could you go about loving and serving them. And parents, how can we like be involved in our kids' activities and serve their schools and be able to grow in a relationship with families that way? But how can we serve those around us? All right, one last one. Being on mission as we go could also look like being in community with other Christ followers. Like, what could it look like to do any of these things that we just talked about but in the context of community. Like with your community group or with other Christ followers that you know are in your same neighborhood or dorm or apartment complex. Because again, God uses these communities, these little pockets of community in really powerful ways when everyone is using their gifts, when everyone is involved. And something really powerful happens when people see like this community of Christ followers where maybe they have almost nothing in common except for a love for Jesus. That's powerful. So what could it look like to do that? See, being on mission, it's not just primarily about inviting people into like believing a certain set of beliefs or truths, but it's about inviting them into a relationship with Jesus and into a community of other Christ followers. And that's best modeled, you guessed it, in the context of that sort of community and in a place where they can see modeled for them what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus and to do that with them. One opportunity that we have as a community to do this that's coming up, you guys heard about this this morning, is at the movies coming up on June, uh, sorry, July 14th, where uh, people are going to be entering into each of our different sites and venues, into our spaces, uh, to to watch the movie Wonder. That's the first one coming up. And you guys, when people come and they see our multi-ethnic, multi-generational community, and we un, like we roll out the red carpet for them and provide a, a warm and welcoming and disarming space for them just to engage and to get to know our community, man, God is going to use that in such a significant way. So invite. Friends, grab those tickets that Miss Lisa had earlier, invite a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. And then all of us, all sites, what can it look like just to love and to serve people that walk through the doors that night to really care for them well, to roll out the the red carpet that they would have a great experience that night? One more time, being on mission is about being intentional with those around us as we go. It's like the fourth time I've said it. Let's read it together just so that sticks in our, our brains, right? Being on mission is about being intentional with those around us as we go. It's something we're all called to participate in. As we wrap up, uh, several weeks ago as I began preparing for this, at one point I thought I would really like spend a lot of time focusing in on the need for mission in our current world, in our current context. I thought I would share things like how Madison consistently ranks as one of the least churched cities in all of the United States, right up there with places like Seattle and Portland, Oregon. Or I thought I'd share quotes from scholars who study Mission for a Living who estimate, some of them, that up to like 50% of the American population might never step foot inside a church building on their own, no matter how great the teaching or the music is Because it's just so far removed from the world and the context that they live in. Obviously, I didn't focus on those things. But in the midst of talking about barbecues and bringing cookies to people and all that kind of stuff, I don't want us to miss the fact that, you guys, this stuff matters. There's eternal significance to the ways that we choose to be on mission together. And I know like it sounds simple. Some of this stuff just sounds mundane, like just getting to know your neighbors, doing kind of the daily things of life and inviting other people into it. But these are exactly the kinds of things that God uses to begin to grow relationships and to eventually extend hope and life and Jesus in the way that we've experienced. In my own life, man, I don't know if I would be a Christ follower today if not for a student at the UW who chose to be on mission. And he took a step of faith fall of 2004 to knock on my dorm room door. And he invited me into a community of other Christ followers that were meeting in our dorm. And he met with me like every single week as we grew in a relationship together and as I explored the person of Jesus. And in that season of life, I felt lost. I felt hopeless So I praise God all the time for that student that took the step of faith to knock on my door and to be on mission. So what about us? What about you? How can you be on mission with those around you as you go? Some of us, like just even getting to know someone's name for the first time, that feels stretching, that feels intimidating and that's okay. Take that step of faith, get to know that person. And yet some of us, like we're already in relationship with neighbors and classmates and all of that kind of stuff. And you, you're ready to like share a little bit of your story of how Jesus has been at work in your life. So whatever that is for you, pray about where God might be leading you and then take that step of faith, jump in. Because as we do this, as we stretch ourselves, as we engage in mission, you guys, God will change and transform our lives too. In my own life, as I've stepped out in faith to be on mission with him, he's used that in so many ways. He's grown my mercy and compassion for people. He's made me want to be more generous and not just to do it begrudgingly. And he's grown my dependence and my trust in him as I've had to just, man, pray to God that he would be at work and family members and friends and the people around me. And in all of that, I've gotten to witness firsthand the power of God to change and to transform lives. But that's only possible when we choose to be on mission. We can read our Bibles, we can pray, we can do all of the other spiritual practices that we're gonna do this summer, but at some point we've gotta get in the game because we've been created for mission. So my challenge, my encouragement this morning as we go from here and into the 4th of July weekend, again, is just to pray. Where might God be leading you? And then take a step of faith, follow through with an opportunity that he gives you. But let's be a people, let's be a community that's on mission together, amen? Let me pray for us and then uh, Coley and the band will, will lead us. God, we thank you. And we thank you, first of all, for just the ways that you've been at work in our own lives. God, we don't engage in mission out of obligation or guilt. And if there's a sense of that right now, I just pray against that spirit that you you would remove that. But we do it, God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus compels us to be ambassadors for you, to live on mission in this kind of way. So would you form us? Would you shape us to be the kinds of people that take steps of faith in this way? God, for me, this doesn't come easy. This is stretching. It is a huge leap of faith. There's not a lot of things that I would like put myself out there for to to make myself uncomfortable, to step out of my comfort zone. But God, you, Jesus, what you've done for us, the gospel, it's absolutely worth it. So God, we give ourselves to you. Would you use us to bring glory to yourself? God, you deserve it. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody set together, amen.